0: All right, guys, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. We've been in Hebrews since August. it um, been a little while. we're going to be in Hebrews really for this whole school year, just kind of looking at um, the, the whole idea that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than, than all things. He's the greater revelation of God Himself. He's the greater messenger. He has brought a greater message to us. He's greater than angels. He's greater than all the prophets. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He's greater than than everything. He's greater than all things. And and really, up to this point, the author of Hebrews has just exalted the superiority of Christ. So understand this. Why do we need to know that Christ is superior to all things? Think about that. Why do we need to know that Christ is superior? He's above all things. Well, if we have a low view of Christ. Then the way we live our life is going to be a reflection of that. We need to understand that Christ is above all, He is is greater than all things, and that affects the way that we live our lives. Tonight, as we're beginning chapter 4, it kind of builds off of what the end of chapter 3 was about. So if you look back at the end of chapter 3, verses 7 through 19, the author talked about the disobedience of Israel and their unbelief in the wilderness. And their unbelief, as you look at verse 19, prevented them from being able to enter into the promised land that God had promised for His people. Israel refused to listen to the voice of God and trust His promises. And they were unable to enter the promised land of rest, of safety, of security. The author continues in chapter 4 with the same idea of entering into God's rest. And he challenges us, again, not to harden our hearts toward God as Israel did, but to trust and believe in the promised rest that God offers his people so that we may enter in. So as we begin, let's let's think about what is rest? What is rest? Let's have some interaction here. What is rest? Hmm? Hmm? Sleep, what's, what's rest? Calm for, calm for something, what time to recharge? <clears throat> time to recharge. Taking a break, like comfort. comfort. You rest, you cease from work, you kind of just kind of chilling out a little bit. Let's rest can be defined in several different ways it's, it's ceasing from work or action, taking a break, relaxing, rest, having freedom. From worries. From disturbances. To be at peace. To be at peace with God. To possess, to possess the peace that He gives. To be rest to rest is, is to be settled. To be fixed. To be secure. To be grounded in Christ. Not running around looking for the next thing. People who are restless are constantly looking for something else. To, to be at rest means you're, you're fixed. You're kind of settled. You're not looking for the next thing. To remain confident in. To keep trusting. To enjoy the confidence of salvation that we have in God. To rest in His salvation. To lean on God. If you rest on something. I'm resting on this table. I'm leaning on this table. Knowing that we can lean on God. Leaning on Him, not on ourselves. Knowing that He will always be there. Depending on Him. Tonight what we're going to be talking about is is God's rest. Entering into God's rest. His perfect, full, all-satisfying and joyful rest that He offers to those who trust in Him. The only thing that can satisfy your restless soul is the perfect rest of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So if we trust in God's promise, if we trust in his promise of rest through Jesus, we will enter in, into this rest. If we reject the promises of the gospel, we're going to end up like Israel, who, although they left Egypt, they left slavery in Egypt, they never entered into the promised land, because they did not trust in God's promises. So let me pray with us as we begin tonight, and then we're going to look at God's word. Father, we thank you for this night that we can gather together around you centered in Christ and and have some fun playing a game, singing songs to praise you, to worship you. And now that we can sit and just look at your word and study it together. God, I pray you would speak through me, give me clarity, give me understanding as I proclaim your word. And God, give us all ears that would hear your word and minds that would understand it. Give us hearts that would receive it. And respond with faith and obedience. And God give us a love for you. That, that we want to live our lives for your glory. Not for ourselves but for you alone. So God I pray tonight. If, there are any, if there's anybody here who's, who has not found that eternal rest in you. Because they're not saved. God would you bring salvation tonight. And God for those who have found that rest. Would you remind us of the rest that we have in you. That we may not run around looking for other things to satisfy us. But we may be still in rest. And enjoy the rest of God our Savior. So Lord, we love you. we ask these in Jesus' name. Amen. Read with me Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. Hebrews 4 verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So there are a couple of things from these verses that we need to understand about entering into God's rest. The first thing we need to see here is that there is an opportunity of entering God's rest. We see the opportunity of entering God's rest. And we see this in the first five verses. God's The promise of entering God's rest still stands. It is still available to us today. It's not something that God did in the past that no longer exists. God still offers His rest today. The author reminds these Jews that he's writing to of Israel's failure to enter into the promised land. We saw that in the end of chapter 3. They failed to enter the promised land because of their disobedience and because of their unbelief. And he strongly encourages them to fear. Not to be scared of God, but to, in a sense, have a holy reverence. Have honor. Have respect for God, have fear, lest they themselves fall, fail to enter just as the Israelites did. So basically he's saying, pay attention to what Israel did and how they failed to enter because of their unbelief. And fear God. Fear God. Understand that God is a God of promises and we are to trust Him. Don't be like the Israelites. The danger that these Jews faced was thinking that because their forefathers failed to enter... That the promise was no longer available. That's why the author said, hey, the promise still stands. Just because your forefathers did not enter into the promised land because of their unbelief, because of their rebellion against God, that doesn't mean that it's all said and done for Israel. That Israel has no hope. God's promise still remains. The author assured these Jews that the promise of God's rest is still available. And he said, today, right now. So believe the promises of God. Trust in Him for salvation. His eternal rest for His people. And we think about this today. You know, sometimes people think that they're too far gone for God to save them. Some people will look at, man, my family life is just really messed up. My parents are this way. My grandparents are this way. I'm this way. Look what I've done. Look at the sin in my life. I'm too far gone. God can't save me. I've done this. I've done that. I need to get my life cleaned up first. Before God can save me. And what you need to understand is that you are never too far gone for God to deal with you. You're never too far gone to God to deal with you and to work in your life. As long as you have today, you have an opportunity to turn to God in faith. Think about Israel in the wilderness. God gave them day after day after day after day for 40 years. They had 40 years of opportunity to turn to God, yet they continued in their unbelief. They continued in their disobedience, ignoring the voice of God, not trusting in his promises. But you still have today. We have today. As long as you can hear God's call, you have the opportunity for salvation, to find rest For your soul. And that's why the author of Hebrews urges these Jews. And that's why I urge you today. If you hear God's voice speaking to you through His Word. Do not ignore it. Do not ignore the Holy Spirit working in your life. Do not ignore God's call to you. Listen to God. Don't rebel. It does you no good to hear God. To hear the truth of God. To come on a Wednesday night and hear the Word of God. And then to ignore it. And then do nothing about it. Consider those in the wilderness. Again, they they wandered for 40 years. They obviously heard the voice of God. They obviously saw His power as He parted the Red Sea and they walked across on dry land. As they witnessed the plagues in Egypt, as they saw manna fall from heaven, lay on the ground so they could eat food. Moses, strike a rock and speak to a rock so that water would flow. They saw God's power. They heard God's voice. They even followed Him for a while. But they did not believe in the promises of God. They did not trust Him. What they heard was not met with faith in God. And therefore, they did not believe God. And they did not enter into the promised land. Listen to me. It does you no good if you hear the Word of God and you don't believe it. If, if If the Word of God in your life is not met with faith, it does no good for you. Why would you hear the Word of God and then ignore it? Not let God's word change you. The Bible says that the good news came to them. You see that in verse 2. For good news came to them just as to us. It came to us just as to them. But they did not believe God's word, they didn't trust Him. I was recently asked um, what happened to people who died before Jesus came here. Did people go to heaven? Did people go to hell? Because, you know, for us today, we are saved by faith in Christ, right? So what happened to people before Christ? Well, it's no different than what happens to us today. Those in the Old Testament who believed in the promises of God that were ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, those who believed in them, their faith in God to do what He said He would do, that was counted to them as righteousness. You look at Romans chapter 4. It wasn't Abraham's perfect obedience because that didn't happen, but it was his faith in God. And his faith in God was counted to him as righteousness. Same thing for us. When we have faith in Jesus Christ to save us from our sins, our faith in God is counted to us as righteousness. And so just as kind of a to help us a little bit to understand what salvation is, you and I need to understand salvation in terms of righteousness. We need to understand salvation in terms of Righteousness. Not so much as Jesus loved me and He's in my heart. I'm not trying to make fun of that, but I'm saying a lot of times that's what we hear, that that Jesus loves me and He lives in my heart, and that's kind of it. That's that's right here. What we need to understand is to go a little deeper, to understand that, that God is righteous. We are unrighteous. And because God loves us, He sent Jesus to make a way for us so that we could be righteous before Him. Because we are unrighteous. Because what happens when you're saved? It's not that just God loves you so much because you're so awesome. It's God because He loves you. He gives you His righteousness that He has accepted as payment for sin. That Jesus gives us when we trust in the promises of God. He gives us His own righteousness and allows us to be seen as righteous. So that's what we see here. The author of Hebrews mentions uh, this a little bit. When we we understand this, this righteousness of God. It's not just hearing and, it's hearing and believing and having faith in that God counts as righteous. That God counts as righteous. The good news comes to us. The good news has come to us. And we must believe it. We must believe it so that we may be seen as righteous before a holy God. The author of Hebrews mentions something in verse 4 that helps us understand God's rest a little bit better. Look at verse 4. For He has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all His works. So what did God do on the seventh day of creation? What did He do? He rested. He rested. When did He rest? Not what day of the week. He rested after He did what? After His work. After He finished all the work that He had done in creation. God rested. Rested. He rested after he had finished his work. So what does it mean for you and I to rest in God's rest? It means we rest in the finished work of God. It means we rest in the finished work of Christ. It means we, when we find eternal rest. It's not based on what we've done, that we've been faithful enough in church, that we've read our Bible enough, that we've done this and done that. It's resting in the finished work of Christ. God completed His work. Then we rest. And then you kind of think about it. We rest on the first day, Sunday, and then we have the rest of the week to work. But this rest, this Sabbath rest, we rest in the finished work of Christ. We don't work for our salvation. God has completed. He's finished that work in Jesus Christ. And for us to find that eternal rest, we are resting and trusting in the finished work of Christ, what He has done on the cross. And that's where we find eternal rest. We need to understand that although God's promise of entering into his rest still remains, the opportunity of rest will not remain forever. And that is why it's urgent that we trust him today. God offered his promised rest to Israel, but they disobeyed God by refusing to trust his promises. And the day came where the wilderness generation, they all died In the wilderness. And they did not enter the promised land. Because they did not trust God. They did not enter Canaan. Today. Today the now. It will not last forever. And that's why we must understand the urgency of entering God's rest. So we see the opportunity of entering God's rest. Secondly we see the urgency. The urgency of entering God's rest. Let me ask you a question. Why does today exist? Today, Wednesday, October 4th, why does today exist? Today's Caleb's birthday. It's Charlie Mack's little brother's birthday, isn't it? So we can tell him happy birthday late. It doesn't exist for Caleb's birthday, but why does today exist? Have you thought about that? Why does today exist? Does it exist just because it's another day? Does it, does it exist for. What's, what is the reason today exists? Let me tell you why today exists? Today exists because God is gracious and He's patient toward us. God loves us and cares for us. He cares for His people. And He is offering yet another opportunity for people to trust in Him and be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where God extends His grace, allows you to breathe another breath because He is saying, Trust in Me. God is saying, trust in me today. You're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised 50 years. We're not promised 100 years. We're promised today. We have today. That's all we know we have. That is why we trust in God today. It's an urgent message to not neglect the salvation that we talked about in chapter 2. But to listen to the voice of God. And to trust in Him. To trust in God. God has sovereignly given us His promise today of salvation and eternal rest in Him. That's why if you look at verse 6, look at verse 6. That's why it still remains for some to enter into it. Because God has given us this promise of rest. That's why it's still available. But we also have the responsibility, as we see in verse 7, to not harden our hearts, but to listen to God. God divinely and sovereignly given us today because there are some who still must enter in. His promise is still available, but you and I have the responsibility to respond to God, to put our faith in him, to not harden our hearts as Israel did in the wilderness and failed to enter. But we are to listen to the voice of God and to believe the voice of God. It's not enough that you just hear the message of the gospel. You can hear the message of the gospel day after day after day after week after month after year it's not enough just to hear it you must respond to the gospel in faith that's the only proper response to the gospel is to respond in faith not to ignore it not to disobey the word of god but to respond in faith the wilderness generation they as they wandered in the wilderness they heard the good news they saw the good news of god delivering them out of egypt Yet they did not have faith in God, and therefore they perished in the wilderness. It does you no good to hear the truth if you don't respond in faith. And we need to understand that God always fulfills His promises. God promised Israel the land of Canaan. He said, I will give you the land of Canaan for you to dwell in, for you to have safety, security, and rest. It is a good land, and I promise this to you. Yes, God gave the land to Israel. Although many who didn't believe, the ones who didn't believe, they didn't get to enter. Moses didn't lead the vast majority of the Israelites into the promised land. In fact, it was Joshua who led those who believed. Those who trusted in God's promise. Those were the ones who were able to see. Yet, it's not just a place uh, of just like a territorial place. Right? We see that God did give them this place where they could dwell. But really, we see in verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, the land of Canaan, if, if, that, would have been, if that would have counted as, as their rest, then God would not have spoken of another day later on. The rest of God isn't so much territorial as it is spiritual. But God did fulfill His promise to Israel. Look, with, let, me, let me read to you in Joshua chapter 21 to show you how God fulfilled His promises. Joshua 21, 43 says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give their fathers. He fulfilled his promise. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel. Had failed, all came to pass. Everything that God promised happened. And so we know we can trust into trust in the promises of God. And so we think about the promises of God. He fulfills his promises. And so when God has promised us eternal rest in heaven, we look forward to heaven, a place, but even more so, we look forward to the promise that we will be in the presence of God. And that is where we find rest. That is what made the land of Canaan so special for the Israelites. It's not just because it was a really good land. It was. But it was the fact that God was going to dwell there with His people. What makes heaven so special is not that it's just a place of paradise. But it's a place where we will forever find rest. And we will forever be in the presence of God. That is what the rest of God looks like. Those who trust in God will experience this eternal rest. We rest from trusting our own works. We rest in the finished work of God. The God who accomplished our salvation through Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity today. Today. We're not promised tomorrow. We have this opportunity today to rest in the finished work of Christ. But we must not wait. We must not wait. We must not delay. We only have today. A person is only guaranteed their lifetime. And we don't know how long that is. You don't know how long you're going to live here on earth. So you don't know how long you have to trust in God, to trust in the work of Christ. That's why we must believe today and to enter his rest today while we have this opportunity. Someone texted me this poem. I've referenced this poem before. They texted me earlier today and I thought it was so fitting for tonight. Uh, It is by a man named C.T. Studd. And it says, Only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before His judgment seat. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self, Or in His will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Your life will swiftly go away. It will swiftly go away. John Malcolm just turned a year old last Wednesday. A year has gone by just like that. We don't know how long we have. And the time we do have quickly goes away. Do not delay in trusting in the finished work of Christ. Entering into His rest. And then finally, as we conclude this text, we see that we must be diligent to enter God's rest. We must be diligent to enter God's rest. Or to say it another way, we must work at resting. You and I have got to work hard at resting. And that doesn't really make a lot of sense. It seems kind of contradictory that we have to be diligent and we have to work At resting. My mom works all the time, and sometimes I tell her, I'm like, Mom, just take a break, chill out, rest a little bit. And she's like, I don't know how. I'm like, You got to work at it. We have to work at resting, working against all of our efforts to justify ourselves or to prove our own righteousness because we have none of our own, but resting in the promised and finished work of Christ. Because we still have the opportunity today to enter. And because it's a matter of urgency, we must be diligent. As verse 11 says, we must strive to enter that rest. To enter the rest of God so that we don't fall into the same disobedience that we see Israel did. We must be diligent to seek to enter God's rest because God's word is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to our very core. It discerns or it judges our thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And so what this is saying, what verse 12 is saying is that God's word cuts to the very core of who we are. It cuts to the very core of who we are. Just as a surgeon uses tools to kind of operate. Say if you have a surgeon doing open heart surgery, they're they're going to the very core of the issue. God's word cuts to our very core. And what we need to understand is that you and I can play religion We can be faithful to come to church. We can read our Bible. We can be nice to people. Others can think we're really spiritual and really religious. We can go through the motions of Christianity. And we can think that, oh, as long as others perceive me as as righteous, as others perceive me as a Christian, then I'm good. But what God's Word does is it cuts to the very core. It looks past all that junk that we try to build up and hide. It cuts to the very core of who we are. And we lay exposed before God. We have nothing to... We cannot hide anything from God. Because God's Word cuts. And it judges the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Not the facade we try to put up. The mask that we try to say... that We try to act like, hey, we're really religious. We do all these things. You think about uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 23. When Jesus was saying, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, do we not do these things? Do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not do many works in your name? And this and that. And Jesus is going to say to them, depart from me for I never knew you. We had a great religious experience. We did all these things that were religious. We did all these Christian activities. We participated in camp and D-NOW. We came on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. We did all these things. Jesus, do you not know me? It's not looking at the outward. Jesus doesn't judge what all we do outwardly. He looks at the thoughts and intentions of our heart. His word cuts to the very core. And that's why it's so important that we read the word of God. And we don't compare ourselves to other people. It's easy for me to look at anybody or for you to look at anybody and say, I'm more religious than them. I'm a better Christian than them. That's why we hold ourselves to the standard of God's word. We see God's word. What does God say I'm to do? How does God say I'm to live? And that is how we're to live. God's Word judges our hearts. Our soul and spirit, joints and marrow, thoughts and intentions. This is speaking of the fullness of a person. You see that in verse 12? Those kind of pair, those, those pairs we see? It's speaking of the fullness of a person. God's Word penetrates to the very depths of our heart and judges whether or not we truly have faith. God's Word judges the genuineness, the authenticity of our faith. And I mentioned like a surgeon who opens up a person to operate them. They can see everything clearly. God, He uses His Word as a tool to use it, to open us up. Till we lay exposed before God, hiding nothing. And God uses His Word to see everything clearly. To, to judge our hearts, to judge our lives. His Word, is, it's a sword. It's referred to as the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6. It cuts straight through all that we may have built up to make ourselves feel good and feel religious. And it sees the thoughts and intentions of our heart. So let me ask you this. Do you really love God and believe His promises? Or are you just trying to appear as a Christian, trying to do Christian things in hopes that you escape hell? Do you believe God's promises? Do you trust in Him? Do you love Him? Nothing's hidden from God. You can't hide anything from God. You lay completely exposed before Him, and it's to Him that we must give an account. You see that in verse 13? No creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. The danger of many people is that a lot of people think that they can build up their own righteousness. And that is going to stand and pass the test of judgment. But that is not true in the slightest bit. Because going back to that passage in Matthew 7. They said, Lord, did we not prophesy and and work miracles and do all these things in your name? It wasn't, Lord, look what you've done and we trusted in that. It's, Lord, did we not do these things? Look at our works. Look at what we did. Is that not good enough? And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. The danger many of us face is trusting in our own righteousness. Trusting in our own religious participation. Our own church attendance. Trusting in our families. And not trusting and not resting in the finished work of Christ. But God's Word opens us up. He exposes that in each of us. And so let me ask you this. When you stand before Christ on the day of judgment, whether He comes back whether you die and go before Him, what will you say? When you stand before Christ, when you stand at the judgment seat of God, what are you going to say? Many of us don't think about that. But what will you say? What is your trust in? Is it, is it everything that you've built up on earth? Is it all that you've done? Or is it, I have nothing except Christ? God's Word judges the authenticity of our faith. And therefore, we all must be diligent to enter the rest that comes through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. The rest that God promises to His people is a wonderful, beautiful, eternal rest. A rest where we will forever be satisfied and complete A rest where we will experience joy forevermore in the presence of Christ our Savior. A rest that comes only through faith in Jesus. The one whom God sent to earth to save His people. The one who completed the work necessary for us to be able to enter into this rest. The psalmist in Psalm 34a said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Taste and experience this. Blessed is the man who takes refuge or who hides or who finds safety, who rests. And blessed is that man. Happy is that man. That man has found joy. That man has found satisfaction. So what must we do? What must you and I do? Well, don't harden your heart to God. Don't harden your heart to Him. Turn to God in repentance of your sin. And trust in Him. Have faith in the God Whose promises never fail, and who promises eternal rest for his people. Don't reject, this is the call for the unbeliever. Don't reject the opportunity that you have today to turn to Christ. You're not promised tomorrow. Don't reject the opportunity that God has given you today to trust in him. Don't neglect the, sal- the great salvation he offers. And this is for the believer. Delight in the Word of God. Delight in God's Word. Enjoy the rest that you have now. God gives us rest now. It's a present rest and it's a future rest. It's a rest we don't have to fully, we, we fully await it, but we, we get to experience this in part now. Rest in God. Enjoy this rest. Tell others of the rest that God offers. Tell others of the Savior who has finished the work of God. So that we may find rest in Him. And for all of us, for every one of us, be diligent, work hard at, study the Bible. Studying the Bible diligently is not for just people who go into ministry. It is the call for every single Christian, every person, to study the Bible. To study it, to know what the Bible says. Because in the Bible we see this God who promises rest for His people. We, fight, we see who God is. We see who we are. We see our need for God. Study the Bible. Be diligent to study the Bible. The Bible penetrates our very core and judges our hearts. So study the Bible diligently. Work hard at it. Let the Bible convict you of sin. Let the Bible sanctify you. Make you holy. Let the Bible build you up according to the Word of God for His glory for your good. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it teaches us, how it encourages us, corrects us, guides us, inspires us. Lord, my desire is that we all experience the eternal rest that you have offered to us in Christ Jesus. And so God, I just, I plead that if there is One here who does not know that rest. God, that you would reveal yourself to them in such a way that they come to know that rest. The eternal, beautiful, wonderful rest that you give us forevermore. God, may we enjoy this rest. May we not be like Israel and harden our hearts to you and fail to enter the promised land of rest that you offer to your people. We thank you that you're a God of promises, that you fulfill your promises. And Lord, would you help us in our unbelief to believe, to trust in you, to trust in your promises, that you fulfill your word and you give us rest. God, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for the finished work of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.